And for example, in the north of Colombia, I also asked um, like some elder from the Kogis. Uh, they again, they don't work with any psychedelics, but it's like or intuogen plants. They don't have a concept as well. Like they don't know what a psychedelic experience is. They would not be able to break it down because for them, they're so strongly connected to, to nature that all of the parts are equally important, whether there's sun, whether there's rain, um, what happens with the ground, with the soil. I mean, there is not just one most important thing. Welcome to the Mindfulness Experience podcast, where we explore the intersection of mindfulness, mental health, and diverse perspectives on human consciousness. We're an official podcast for the MAPS Psychedelic Science 2023 Convention, and in today's episode, we're thrilled to welcome Dr. Larissa Mayer, a visionary psychologist who is deeply committed to exploring the potential of entheogenic plants and fungi for healing and transformation. She recently had a session at the convention, and we look forward to hearing more about it. But Dr. Mayer is uh, very impressive. She has an impressive academic background, holding a BS, MS, and PhD from the University of Zurich, where she graduated summa cum laude. Her research is focused on consciousness, health, and human rights, with a particular interest in how psychedelic experiences can foster a more profound sense of interconnectedness and belonging. In 2022 and 23, Dr. Mayer embarked on a journey of exploration and discovery traveling to South America and Africa to learn more about indigenous cultures, communal organizations, and how the traditional and ceremonial uses of entheogenic plants and fungi are used. This experience has shaped her perspective on the potential of psychedelics for healing and transformation and how we can integrate traditional knowledge systems and mindfulness practices to cultivate compassionate community healing modalities. So please welcome Dr. Larissa Mayer to the Mindfulness Experience Podcast. Hey, hey, hey. Welcome. All right, all right, all right. Larissa, how are you doing? Hey, Keith. I'm doing great. And it's so nice to finally be here with you and recap everything that's happened at the conference and what's going on in the psychedelic space. Oh, my goodness. What a what an incredible convention. 12,000, almost 13,000 people. And, you know, we didn't have the opportunity to meet at the convention, but we talked beforehand and we set up this time. So I'm uh, extremely pleased that you're here and very thankful. How did your talk go? How did everything go at your particular session? Maybe you can talk a little bit about that. Yeah, the conference was an absolute amazing experience. I didn't envision how it would look like to be among so many of our oh. friends and mm -hmm. and colleagues and many of them we had only met online um, during the pandemic and we were mm -hmm. kind of in online meetings we read each other's paper and then finally everyone was there so that was really beautiful mm -hmm. and leading up to the conference i was co-organizing a psychedelic leadership summit for 60 mm -hmm. leaders in the psychedelic space mm -hmm. to come together and connect and i think that was the best preparation for that huge or large-scale uh, conference 
Mm. So at the conference, I was uh, giving the talk at the policy stage and I was moderating one panel on visionary approaches and then looking into uh, another panel that was about uh, bringing research to policy. Mm -hmm. And there I really focused on what are the different policies, both nationally and internationally, and where does it all come from? Like, how did we end up with harm reduction in our, for example, Swiss drug policy? Mm -hmm. So that was quite exciting. And the dialogues um, around that panel in particular, but everywhere at the conference were very nourishing. Mm. Now, you've, uh, you've, you've got a very, very rich background, and I know that you've also been involved in, you know, policy and harm reduction and a whole number of other areas. What inspired you to explore the potential of psychedelics for healing and transformation? Yeah, for this, we have to even take a step back and uh, basically look of how I was growing up. Um, psychedelics were not mm -hmm. particularly um like available or um, relevant as a teenager but people started using tobacco alcohol cannabis and then soon after other drugs and just like in america in switzerland mm -hmm. we learned too that drug use is destroying communities mm -hmm. but from what i experienced in the musical setting um mm -hmm. it was completely the opposite so drug use was part of um, helping communities come together and experience things together. So my issue or my topic was really the interest of making drug use safer for all the people who engage with use. And mm. so my master thesis was about drug checking in the city of Zurich. So in Zurich, mm -hmm. people can test their drugs at parties and also at the office um, for, for 30 years by now. So it's been a long time. And so Mm -hmm. um, that has been in the development and there we already had a questionnaire where we um, asked people about the drugs they use and we asked about psychedelics and new psychoactive substances too. So long before I had my first psychedelic experience, I was having a lot of data on people who used them and they would mm -hmm. also describe to me um, how the effects were. Or when it came to LSD, for example, they would let me know that people first have to be ready to lose control and surrender because the world can kind of break down and you have to build it up new. So these were kind of cues and ideas uh, I had about psychedelics. And my personal exploration came way later after I finished my PhD. Mm. Well, you know, uh, it's interesting because uh, one of the things we talked about before we started the podcast was the whole idea of a lot of people talking about drugs and how drugs have really sort of gotten in you know, this is your brain on drugs and, you know, this is going to fry your brain. There's been this whole awful propaganda campaign against drugs. And certainly uh, there are we have to discern the difference between some drugs and other drugs. Some drugs actually promote neuroplasticity, neurogenesis, brain development, the consciousness and expansion of consciousness. Other drugs, you know, really are uh, they're in, they have an entropic effect. They have a the ability to really, you know, stop development in some way, really dumb us down, null us, uh, numb us down. And I'm wondering, uh, you mentioned, uh, um, you know, one of the things in terms of recreation, I like to break down this whole idea of the word recreation into recreation. And I'm wondering if you can speak to that a little bit more, uh, because there's a, a, a number of other questions I've got for you. But this particular one, uh, given your experience, I think is, you know, very important. You you have a sense of that? Absolutely. Yeah. 
Um, I would say that as of today, the majority of people who use drugs that are currently listed in most countries, um, they are doing this uh, for recreation, um, mm -hmm. for like purposes that are not medical. They are not intending to work on anything. And that is a reality um, that we've also been showing in the Global Drug Survey, where we ask people about the modus for use and the frequency of use of different substances. And I think you know, need to know both these, but also like more about the motives of use and the co-use of other substances to be able to actually say whether a particular use pattern is problematic or not. So just the single use or like we looked in the studies at like lifetime, 12 month or 30 days prevalence, um, whether a person has used a substance mm -hmm. like once a month, mm -hmm. um, that tells you nothing about whether this is problematic. Because again, everything in moderation uh, is pretty um, reasonable for a lot of substances. And again, the human body is a is a wonder because um, it's very resilient and it can deal with a lot of things exact, exactly also um, when people are young and uh, the mind is developing a lot of people mm. are concerned about drug use but at the same time this is when the most neurosynapses um, are built so the the brain can even recover from like longer periods of excessive drug use um, when that use is reduced or stopped mm. so that's very interesting to know mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, you know, I think one of the reasons why we find people using uh, psychedelics or alcohol or any other kind of, you know, um, way of, uh, if you will, numbing down or or at least finding a way to go ahead and ease the pain, is because we really do live in a traumatic society. I mean, you know, there's trauma everywhere. We're born into a, uh, you know, trauma, and people are really looking for answers or looking for ways of coping. And I'm wondering, you know, when you look at psychedelic therapies or psychedelics overall, entheogenics, and you look at the opportunity for really neuroplasticity or greater consciousness, uh, you know, is there an opportunity? Do you believe that we can, you know, kind of look at using these therapies, using these approaches to make them accessible for, to more people rather than to just those who can afford them because right now we're at that point where this you know this convention was really about psychedelic science and around using psychedelics from the viewpoint of you know psychedelic assisted therapy so i'm just wondering your thoughts around this is there a bridge do we you know do we still have to you know have this illicit you know this illicit use as you as as you had mentioned yeah of course um that's a good point. Like you mentioned trauma and I've, I would go even a step further and say that we also have a problem not just with the trauma, but the ways that people dissociate from the trauma, mm. like the experience of trauma or even getting back to trauma that was experienced during childhood. Most is like related to child adverse childhood mm. um, um, experiences, but of course could also be later in life. It doesn't really matter. but what matters is what we do with it and how mm. we integrate it in our lives and whether there is an option to say okay this trauma or this experience happened to me and now i dive into it and work through it and then find peace with it and have like a, a place in my heart or somewhere else where i can leave it um, but it's not making it undone it will never be undone but just accepting that this happened and trying to move on and focus on the present in life 
And this is where it particularly gets interesting with regards to psychedelics. Mm -hmm. um, people have used psychedelics for thousands of years in ceremonial and ritual contexts. Mm -hmm. And maybe in the 50s, um, Marina, Maria Sabina shared like this psilocybin experience with some people from the Western world who mm -hmm. then kind of didn't carry on the secret, but kind of made it public mm -hmm. and started to work with it. And so it is, for one, very, very impressive for how long um, all this knowledge around entheogens has been kept secret um, from the Western world, in a sense, or maybe a few people were um, like knowledgeable, but they would really keep it. And knowing that there is a lot of power uh, linked to it uh, and a lot that could go wrong as well. Um, but it's it's beautiful because it's done in ceremony, like with each other in groups, and there is no um, performance mechanism or like a statistic or um, something people can do right or not. It's just simply mm -hmm. broken down to the connection with the plant or the plant spirit. So that's very different from how we are looking at psychedelic therapy mm -hmm. and healing today, which mm -hmm. follows strict protocols and like uh, defines the training for the people who are then allowed mm. to serve the medicine and all of that so we're trying to come up with a lot of regulations that make it safer but then again like there are so many other communities who have been doing this for years um where mm. there are no re regulations or more like regulation in terms of social control mm -hmm. where there is a certain respect towards the community the medicine and the land where people yeah. practice yeah, I mean, what you're talking about, I think, is uh, so important because the ritualization, the ability to go ahead and look at the interconnection of human beings with the land, with nature, with, uh, you know, ceremony, uh, you know, is to a large extent lost, you know, in Western civilization. And we do see this medicalization uh, process where we see these, you know, these, these, plants you know uh, now being quote unquote legalized i mean you know how do you legalize a plant i mean you know it's when you know this is nature right um you know and there's a lot of potential here i'm wondering you talked about um you mentioned the potential of psychedelic experiences to decolonize human consciousness and foster a sense of interconnectedness and belonging and you know within the medical you know medicalization of it we really talk about set setting you know integration and activation you know what is what does it show you and how do you activate what it showed you in your life i'm wondering can you tell us more about this perspective and how it differs from traditional you know conventional mental health treatment approaches what are your thoughts about that yeah i think that's the big difference between communities that are like centering around individuals and individual health mm -hmm. and out of that comes almost also like the whole human rights um approach like mm -hmm. having a human right um or a right to something including the right to consciousness mm -hmm. um centers around the individual whereas occidental communities and uh, just communities that are um focusing more around the health of the community um have little or like much fewer value for the individual as such so mm. that stands kind of in um opposition to each other but what we are trying to do here is to find the middle ground because mm. both approaches are uh, like legit and valid and both mm. approaches uh, can bring us some forms of learning mm. 
So when we look at the individual um, there, we want to have uh, we want to ensure that the individual individual takes care of the mm -hmm. drug set and setting that starts with having the information which drug or which plant is consumed mm -hmm. um, at which dose and ideally in a regulated market we would have that information now that we are under the um, head of prohibition uh, this information falls away and unless there is a like a good drug checking service that can both purify and quantify um, the content of a substance uh, people simply don't know that or don't have that knowledge and just have to trust mm -hmm. but then set and setting are super important and how someone prepares and integrates for the setting as well it massively influences the experience but again as you said that's all about the individual person and mm -hmm. the whole mm -hmm. approach also of psychedelic medicine is really mm -hmm. working on a person mm -hmm. And then figuring out what's wrong, it kind of implies that in the first place, something is wrong with the mm. person mm -hmm. and most communal approaches don't see anything wrong, mm -hmm. like with a single person or mm. it's a phenomenon. Mm -hmm. Like we always look like what are the underlying causes? Why mm. is one person different from mm. others or what does that person in mm. that particular moment need to be able to contribute and join the community again? If, mm if there is like a exclusion that mm -hmm. is observed. So from that standpoint, mm -hmm. I think um, psychedelic therapy could do way more in opening up also possibilities uh, to see how that individual um, kind of interacts with different mm -hmm. communities or mm -hmm. like organizations around just that experience and what are the options both in terms of family and other people who are around to have like additional support mm -hmm. that can then again um, mm -hmm. come up. And when we discuss that, it's mm -hmm. the small small cell or the single cell is really the family, but then it goes out into the world because we are in the interdependent mm -hmm. and we are connected with each other. So it's not just how I am doing, how my family is doing and my friends here, but really how our behavior, including our consumption behavior mm -hmm. affects um, other people in this world. So mm -hmm. that starts with like raising awareness about mm -hmm. or just thinking about like where the products that you have at home are coming from mm -hmm. and how much water you really need or like why we have endless um, access to water if you open the sink like it's just mm -hmm. there right but we don't really know where it comes from and so mm -hmm. we have almost uh, forgotten a little bit what it means to be alive and with the mm -hmm. delivery of amazon and other mm -hmm. it's just so simple to mm -hmm. like stay where you're at and be mm -hmm. in your own little mm -hmm. cell of comfort working on all your things mm -hmm. but not considering what else is going on in the world mm. You know, it, uh, what you're talking about, Larissa, brings up so many things for me, you know, really looking at uh, the agency of the individual, the individualization of individuals in society rather than the uh, community, you know, the ability to support individuals through a community that really lifts them up based on the community or the communal experience. And then uh, really uh, what happens uh, in terms of spirit, I, I use that word spirit in terms of breath, in terms of community, because individuals, there is that being seen, being heard, being recognized, being lifted up as an individual. And we have through social media and through technology sort of broken down the community where we're not really being seen you know if we get likes or we get you know whatever our posts are on social media in this society it's more important than maybe going 
to a, a group uh, setting where you know you're able to see a lot of individuals and be lived we've just lost to a large extent this sense of community um, I know that you um, recently went to South America and Africa to learn about indigenous culture and communal organizations and communal organization if you will uh, and the traditional ceremonial uses of entheogenics and um, you know uh, fungi and i'm wondering if you can share some of your insights i mean you speak to this i'm 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 very aware that there is this poll you know the medical poll and yet at the same point at the same point we're looking for greater consciousness and greater connection and these plants can really help us do that in a very sacred way but yet at the same point we're seeing the medicalization really being the the tip of the spear that's really helping the legalization process and i'm wondering can you know you said you thought we could do both of those things you know, given your experience and given your trip and given your insights, you know, you know, could you share some of those insights with us and where how you think we might be able to do that? Because I'm 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 in both camps, but I'm 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 really kind of you know shaking my head and wondering, okay, how are we going to make this all work? You know, I I lived through the '60s and '70s, so I lived through that whole you know you know, Nixon, Reagan era of just say no to drugs. And I don't want us to go back there again. I think we're at a really crucial point. What are your thoughts? I think what I observed from mm -hmm. all the communities that I met with is really um, how much effort they put in to protect their community and their values. Hmm. So like over colonization over many years, um, they have obviously learned that there are people who try to take away from them, who try to tell them how to think differently or believe differently. Also with the religious missionaries that I still encountered in um, both in Brazil or in Colombia. And it's been really um, eye opening to see um, what kind of like rituals and stuff they have in place that are not uh, psychedelic necessarily. Um, to just like be in community and have an exchange and have mm -hmm. like the dialogue around organization and collaboration in the community mm -hmm. uh, where everyone takes part. Mm -hmm. And for example, in the north of Colombia, I also asked um, like some elder from the Kogis. Uh, they again, they don't work with any psychedelics, but it's like, or intuogen plants, they don't have a concept as well like they don't know what a psychedelic experience is mm -hmm. but when i ask them what is the most important thing like a message they would not be able to break it down because for them they're so strongly connected to, to nature mm -hmm. that all of the parts are equally important whether there's mm -hmm. sun whether there's rain mm -hmm. um, what happens with the ground with the soil i mean there is not just one most mm -hmm. important thing and when we look at at medical science in general or evidence-based medicine we see that there is one single goal which mm. is basically symptom treatment so mm -hmm. making this symptom go away mm. so we kind of isolate that mm. idea that a person is just good or not good mm -hmm. based on that symptom and we ignore mm. that there is so much context that in the first place led to the symptoms mm. but then also needs to be considered when a person is integrating such an experience mm -hmm. because what what i'm like predicting for the future if it's mm -hmm. like set up the way we have it now for the mm -hmm. medical context 
it will be very limited and kind of a revolving door, just like we have now with addiction treatment, mm -hmm. which is again, maybe even uh, desirable in the United States because there is a lot of uh, for-profit treatment right. um, facilities. So there is people who are making money um, with the harm addiction of other treatment. people. Yeah, I mean, you know, seven, seven to eight times people go back to addiction treatment centers overall. You know, exactly. before they, I mean, and, and that's their business. Their business is to go ahead and run them through the center so that they, they can go ahead and get their insurance. Yeah. Right. And now we want to look at what's happening there. And we see mm -hmm. so much new drug development happening. And to be clear, like when we talk about developing new drugs, mm -hmm. like in my opinion, we already know a lot of drugs mm -hmm. um, that are functional or can be beneficial, including plants and psychedelics. Mm -hmm. Um, so the question is, do we really need more? If we need more, mm -hmm. uh, people come up with new concepts, new diseases, or mm -hmm. like new kind of forms for applications. But mm -hmm. each time a new development is in the making, they, before it can be tested at the human, mm -hmm. there, there also are animal studies. So a lot of animals die needlessly um, in these animal studies, uh, just to bring new medication to the market, which are then again, um, kind of pushed on doctors which will prescribe and so on mm -hmm. so the question is really like um how can it be that we for so long have ignored natural medicines and mm -hmm. alternative forms of treatment mm -hmm. but now um why is there so much money in new drug development that's mm -hmm. a that's a big question like how do we get over this and again when we talk about new drug development this is nothing that um will be scaled like globally like it's not for for everyone it's again in a very specific setting for a very specific set of people but again if they would only use it once as was promised like with the mdma trials like the phase three trials that are now going on a lot of these people even if in the follow-up are symptom free so that's the idea right you have maybe 12 weeks of treatment you get a substance three times and after that you're basically um, good, good mm -hmm. to go. But again, like the way the market is mm -hmm. uh, like set up right now, it doesn't look like there wouldn't be an expectation that all the people keep coming back to the medical system. Right. Because, you know, um, uh, what you're talking about to um, like what I keep getting in our conversation is this whole idea of the medicine is inside of us. You know, it's that, that we are the biosphere for the medicine to uproot or reveal whatever it is that we need to work on, whatever it is that we need to bring into our mind, our body, our spirit, into our food, into our relationships, into our environment. You know, we, we, are, the, we are the medicine and that's revealing itself to us. Whereas, you know, uh, a lot of people just somehow think that the medicine is the answer, whereas the community and the connection really are the answer to a large extent. And I know that, um, you know, given the research and the uh, investment that's going into the area, that there's a lot of money being poured into it and a lot of legalization. Certainly, I'm a vet. So I appreciate the fact that we can treat trauma. I appreciate the fact that we can treat PTSD and so on and so forth. But even there, we're sending people off to, in the US, we're sending people off to, you know, near shore or offshore, or at least groups are um, part of the Heroic Hearts Project, you know, where we're bringing people off to Peru or Jamaica or Mexico or, you know, 
wherever for a retreat rather than treating him here or allowing you know the use of substances or the use of uh, plants plant medicines to really help them in a communal environment um, I'm wondering, uh, given the knowledge, the traditional knowledge systems and the idea of working within compassionate community healing modalities, uh, you know, how do you do you, do you think that there is an opportunity to create these communities? One of the things that I'm very aware of is sacred uh, plant, you know, sacred churches. You know, I, I believe in the whole idea of transforming communities through, um, you know, the idea of people coming together and having a, you know, an entheogenic experience, you know, and, and being able to use plant medicines as a sacred tool. I'm wondering what your thought process is around that. And, you know, I think what I heard you saying is they could go coexist, but I'm, I'm, I'm wondering, you know, is there a in your view, an opportunity, and did I felt some of that vibe when I was in, you know, <laughs> when I maybe it was just my projection, but I felt some of that vibe when I was in Denver at the convention. You know, what what's your what's your thought? Are you hopeful for that? I'm definitely hopeful that it's possible to bring everything together, and I'm very optimistic, um, mm -hmm. so to say. Um, as a postdoc at UCSF, I was part of the leadership team for the Psychedelic and Theogen Academic Council. And there we facilitated um, 58 meetings during mm. 2020 and 21 online. And it was beautiful to just like build this whole interdisciplinary space mm. where different people with different perspectives could share, not just people from research and science, but people who were actively practicing and um, Jesse from Heroic Hearts project was there as well. Mm -hmm. So um, that space to for exchange is like, of course, a, a first step to see what's out there, what are other people doing. And then there are also good models of self-organization mm -hmm. when it's kind of allowed that self-regulation is happening. For example, in the Netherlands, there is the Guild of Guides. Mm -hmm. um, they're working with um, mushrooms not the psilocybin but with the truffles uh, that are in a gray area and they are um they formed a group to kind of hold each other accountable and uh, the guild of guides the guild of exactly. guides i love that yeah, yeah and work with the government on questions as well and i think the more we can have like different pockets of groups that form mm -hmm. not just uh, as one retreat uh, one single retreat, uh, but really um, different perspectives coming together. Mm -hmm. um, that's probably the strongest um, bond you can come up with. But again, it's di more difficult as long as it's um, like happening on the ground because there is no interest really in um, having that um, safety or um, mm -hmm. that additional kind of work also to connect. As I, a lot of people are already connecting with uh, those who are good with friends and friends of friends and the way people find retreats if they're not referred via a program like Heroic Hearts Project mm -hmm. is really that they ask, reach out to us, to friends and so mm -hmm. on and they ask for information and technically we can also just like advise on what is legal or in on the places that are legal. But then again, uh, there is so much more knowledge there and that's where decriminalization comes in like mm -hmm. because if like psychedelic plants fungi but also pretty much every other drug would be decriminalized mm -hmm. people would be more likely to seek help if mm -hmm. 
they're in need of help and people will be more likely to be able to recommend uh, good treatment centers or single therapists. And um, that's the big problem now uh, when we build such a medical industrial complex um, around psychedelic medicine, we have only room for the people who are trained and um, taking part in expensive trainings. But what about the people who have been working on the ground for many years now, who have um, really good skills and compassion, but may not have a um, academic degree or like another um, document that proves um, their ability, but like how can we maybe build a system that also can integrate these people and then depending on the, on the plant or substance you work with mm -hmm. it can be different because um, like me growing up in Switzerland I, I would not feel comfortable like to work with ayahuasca um, mm. unless I get uh, some people here like a calling or get like mm -hmm. invited by communities to do so but, but that is not like a plant that has been growing in my backyard but then the mushrooms too so like it's um, why don't we start talking about uh, working more with local plants and fungi mm. that are available mm -hmm. and also talk more about conservation in initiatives and then again like when it comes to medicalizing uh, right now like most studies and in future the whole research and medicine will be mm -hmm. built around standard doses because standard doses are safer you need mm -hmm. to know what you give your patient right mm -hmm. but then when people work with mushrooms um, there can be some variability where it's not exactly mm -hmm. that important whether it's like 0.25 gram more or not it's like Mm -hmm. um, people who work with the medicine have that knowledge and mm -hmm. that comes with trust and mm -hmm. again that comes with accountability and mm -hmm. in any way we would do so much better mm -hmm. if that particular part of using, possessing and sharing medicines mm -hmm. would be decriminalized. Mm -hmm. I am just so uh, amazed, you know, I, as, as you well know, I came through the maps, uh, the IPI maps, uh, you know, uh, training and you know i've got the certification as a psychedelic assisted therapy provider but yet you know working with the medicine itself i'm you know the people who haven't gone through any training at all but have been working with medicine you know for years and are really shamans and really you know really understand and really have a really inter intimate connection with the medicine and also really uh, our empaths and being able to go ahead and read people's body language and read people's emotions and really really understand them in a very intimate way and i it goes back to that biosphere the ability to go ahead into somebody else's reality or to really interconnect with you know the reality that's not a material reality and really connect with spirit and emotions and energy to really understand people and that's really a gift and i imagine you saw some of that when you were uh, you know, when you were in uh, South America and, uh, you know, in your travels uh, and your work, uh, when you were uh, working with uh, communities down there, um, did you, uh, you know, given the uh, uh, insights that you got, uh, you know, do you see how we might be able to bring that? I mean, does everyone have to, you know, take a trip uh, to South America and Africa to learn? Uh, you know, is this, is, is there something here that we can learn in this society, in this Western society? What do you think? 
I mean, I would definitely recommend everyone to visit a place right. uh, or a place in South America anytime in their lifetime if they have the chance to do so mm -hmm. and the financial means. So it's again like a privilege to be able to travel um, long distances. And um, then there is also a language barrier, of course, like I've learned Spanish over that year in South America um, and I was previously speaking or fluent in German, French and English, mm -hmm. but it definitely helps if you want to work with uh, traditional people, if you speak their language. And mm -hmm. then again, um, in the North of Colombia or other indigenous communities have their own language um, where they don't understand Spanish or Portuguese. And then you can only communicate with hands and feet and percussion, like music is always a universal language. Mm -hmm. So that's maybe good to know. Mm. And in the global drug survey, um, we have seen that people who were um, agreeing to do an extra module on psychedelics in 2020, um, they reported that um, some of them had um, experiences with supervised use. And in that case, it wasn't even like necessarily a shaman somewhere far away, mm -hmm. but most prevalently it was their friends and family, mm -hmm. like their partner who was supervising mm -hmm. them with their use. Mm -hmm. So that's maybe a very important um, note to make because currently everyone hears about all these promised mm -hmm. um, like well-being benefits of psychedelics and mm -hmm. optimization. And there is already a lot of marketing around it, although it's still in a gray area or not quite legal, but people find their ways and especially entrepreneurs find, find their ways. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like a commodity or something that is expected of you to be kind of part of or informed of. Um, and yet we're still very much in a bubble. So there is a lot of people in need of a lot of information. Mm -hmm. And most people cannot access a research study or they cannot access a legal above ground therapy session. It comes a bit more now with ketamine assisted therapy in the US, mm -hmm. which is again a perfect product to be sold and marketed big time. And the question what happens with the people like immediately Mm -hmm. um, they have great benefits from it, but over time, if they keep going back to the medicine, right. it can also develop new um, de uh, dependencies, right? Mm -hmm. So we have to be very focused on that. So how can we um, help people at home who may um, like feel ready for a psychedelic mm -hmm. um, experience to be safe, uh, both in terms of environment and the people they're surrounded with, mm -hmm. but also in terms of the substance? And I think, again, once more, the more we would put efforts on decriminalizing use, possession and sharing, the more people would feel comfortable to also sit with someone or help people or in case of an emergency, really call the ambulance. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think um, it's a problem that we still have drug induced homicide laws in the US uh, when mm -hmm. we look at what is happening with the overdoses related to fentanyl, where in mm -hmm. some states, if you call the police, um, you can potentially also be prosecuted for a crime if someone mm. dies who has used mm. drugs with you. So this is happening on one side. And then again, the psychedelic liberation is happening on the other side. Mm -hmm. And that's maybe good to also discuss very briefly why it is so important to not uh, kind of buy in in that psychedelic exceptionalism, because when it comes down to your peer group, it's very random whether you had mm -hmm. people who were enlightened and educated who are dealing with psychedelics or taking drugs at a party or, or whether your reality is a very different one and you find yourself 
um, temporarily unhoused on the street and someone's offering you mm. heroin or fentanyl, much more fentanyl now because there was such a um, strong supply reduction mm. push. Uh, so the whole heroin, which mm. was less harmful, is gone. Um, but that is just like all the problems that we have under prohibition, right? So there mm -hmm. it would be so important to just realize that, of course, it doesn't change. A person should never be in the first pl place criminalized for using drugs. So that then again, um, whatever you think about why psychedelics are better or more helpful in therapy and transformation and healing, it doesn't change the fact that other people are using other substances and no one should be criminalized. Mm -hmm. So again, like every in California, we have also a new ballot again, um, like for the third time, they're trying to decriminalize psychedelics. It's a good step in the right direction if we decriminalize. But at the same time, it's a bit hypocrite to then kind of still keep yeah. other forms of behavior criminalized that are very, very similar. And one is right. not better than the other. Right. And and again, I think the at the at the heart of it all is, you know, what is the individual going through? What is their own trauma? Why are they using it? You know, is it for recreation within a communal, you know, aspect for, you know, just uh, going ahead and uh, uh, experiencing uh, the ineffable, you know, the ability to interconnect with, uh, you know, whatever we want to call it, that 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 power that, you know, creates all of creation, you know, that that is there, that is everything and nothing at the same time, uh, and you know, there is this um, there is this sort of talking out of both sides of your mouth. I almost felt like I needed a shout out to the Fireside Project or to dance safe, you know, to go ahead and test the drugs or, you know, to go ahead and call someone if you're having a very, very hard time. Uh, but there is this uh, a sense of, you know, from an indigenous viewpoint, there is a sense of the sacred that I think that we've lost to a large extent. And I'm really feeling that this movement, uh, you know, this ability for a higher level of consciousness for a, a greater connection is really around the movement towards the sacred as much as anything else and i'm wondering you know how we how can we bridge the divide between you know the indigenous knowledge systems and the western science regarding psychedelic research because it seems to me as if it's you know i mean let's go back to the convention there was this whole protest at the end of the convention. You know, you you saw it, I saw it. You know, what 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 are your thoughts about that? What do you think that's about? And, you know, in terms of the closing ceremony, do you think that there is this opportunity to bridge the divide? And, you know, what, what might that look like? Well, it's very easy. Like Roland Griffiths said it also in his talk, like we want people to come together and mm -hmm. coming together just includes all the voices that are represented out there. And I think the conference did a great first um, kind of trial to bring as many of these voices in the context together. But then again, uh, the, some forms of the programming were definitely more favorable um, towards the industry and what is happening and basically where the money is. So. Um, I think that's not always even the problem, but the main thing is really that we're trying like to appropriate these um, different practices and not even like acknowledging that we're doing it. So we do have like a lot of cultural blind spots and we are not taking the time to really sit down and see what does that mean and how we could 
eventually even like um, change some of the offer offerings or at least if we don't want to change and it's just mm -hmm. an offer for profit, um, make some kind of gains for reciprocity to give something mm -hmm. back to the community. But mm -hmm. the giving back to the community or like where the knowledge comes from is mm -hmm. oftentimes excluded or again, people are excluded from the dialogue. So it's like, what is the sacredness really like we have religious freedom yeah but it's different because again it's just a means to make things happen and the sacred act of community is in in some sense happening now among the people who are practicing underground with very high net individuals and um some ceos who have access to that they're experiencing the most beautiful community settings in and with neo shamans who can equally hold space and create something like that but the sacredness of the ceremony when you really connect with a plant and it's not like a synthetic medicine mm -hmm. and you have someone there who just basically gave up his whole life to be of service and to sit there um, for the people who come in and pass through with no expectations. I think a lot of the things we do in research, in science, in in whatever we have interests, there are interests linked to it. And um, one thing is that we can probably not change that in the near future, but the other thing is to really be transparent about these interests that are linked to it. That also includes conflict of interests. And I'm in the unique situation because I left academia that I currently have zero in, um, conflict of interest and never had other than taking money from the Swiss National Science Foundation and the National Institute of Drug Abuse that was supporting my research. But this is a very unique situation to be in where I can really think about what are my most important values or my highest values mm -hmm. and how do I align all of my future actions mm -hmm. in being of service with that. And then I can one day also see what I will feel comfortable taking money for. Mm -hmm. But usually the process is again a different one where you come in and you take money and you haven't right. thought about what it means and how it relates to communities. So I think we can do much, much better um to and we also have to work together with uh, indigenous communities mm -hmm. and knowledge holders without exploiting them to find ways to kind of transfer that knowledge mm -hmm. because a lot of the shamans who are have come to age mm -hmm. they will be here maybe 10 15 years more and then they're gone and the new generation is already different because mm -hmm. they just grew up differently and the mm -hmm. media is there and the technology is there mm -hmm. so it does change the way they interact um, with people who come to visit them not that it's better or worse it's just a different reality and so what we have access to now or also what i was able to see and experience in peru was very special and um, is something that i keep uh, at the heart of all my future projects mm -hmm. it's it's like guiding from love and it's like also um how can we cultivate more gratitude for just the simple fact that we are here that we be that we are in a relationship with each other and with nature and then again ultimately how can we also take better care of nature and think about what our personal actions but not so much our personal also the big actions or the companies we support stand for because there we could push towards more ethical businesses and if ethical businesses would be the ones that mm. uh, can create greater demand others would need to follow but that hasn't happened as of today well, I'm very hopeful, uh, you know, given the work, uh, a lot of the work that's going on underground, uh, you know, when we, you know, because there are so many CEOs, so many uh, people who are of uh, higher net worth, if you will, uh, 
that are going to festivals or going to events and uh, you know really gathering together and then bringing some of those ethics and bring some of those values above ground in terms of building communities uh, that's also very helpful and I and you know I, I I really do have some some hope that the legalization will normalize a lot of the behavior and a lot of the you know the consciousness open up and expand the consciousness of individuals so that we do see more of the um, you know what I like to call the divine feminine you know a, a, a deeper respect for the earth a deeper respect for you know, uh, individuals and, you know, looking at, you know, food, shelter, clothing, uh, care, you know, education, love, you know, the, the, the just the things that we can all really focus on rather than, you know, just sort of stripping the land and, you know, making a profit at the expense of others. Um, I'm wondering, finally, you know, if you start looking at uh, the growth of the field and, you know, what's happening, what advice would you offer individuals with some hindsight, perhaps, given your experience, uh, certainly on the education side and your, you know, your trips to South America and South Africa, to Africa in general, uh, not South Africa, I'm sure you've been there as well. But what would you offer uh, your uh, uh, advice uh, for people who are interested in exploring the potentials of psychedelics and uh, not only for personal experiences or personal growth and healing, but, you know, people who may need access to legal and safe environments, um, you know, or even look at this as a career themselves as they as they move forward into the space? Yeah, I think um, wherever people are nowadays, we have psychedelic societies. So that's like a good first step to reach out to your local psychedelic society um, and figure out whether there is any activity going on in the place where you live. And then, of course, if you read a research paper or you read an interview and someone is cited there, um, nowadays people can be looked up online and they have usually a social media profile may that be on twitter mm -hmm. instagram linkedin or so on not everyone is equally um responsible i would say but it's always also worth to reach out i do have people reaching out to me who say hey i'm a master student there i'm doing my phd there mm -hmm. i need information on that and i'll make time to hop on a call with each and every one of them because i can again like i mean this beautiful spot of my life where I do, um, I am able to choose um, how I spend my time and what I engage with. But I do think that like the support for early career um, scientists and people who are interested in practicing in other ways are very important. But that doesn't include like people who are becoming a medicine professional or a dentist, like it's everywhere, right? So it's like everyone should have the opportunity um, to talk to people who are informed and again depending on the country like for example in Morocco it can be much more difficult to talk about these topics or people who attended retreats there who are sometimes very young of age they do not have a peer group to share the experience or like their personal development in a sense of um, sacred uh, communion with other people and then we can see like how can we create other spaces that are safe for them to engage with maybe part of it can be online but then again most of the spaces i would love to create would be in person 
and that would be safe community spaces where people can explore music and art and pretty much like a festival maybe just without um, the selling of alcohol or other uh, substances that are numbing and then again the psychedelic festivals they're coming they're existing and for the people it must be as a preparation it's good to know like whether you would like to go inward and really like work on something in particular or just go and connect with a certain plant mm. or um, mm-hmm. fungi for example mm-hmm. and then accordingly search someone um, who can like supervise that experience or whether your ideal vision is really something bigger like an event in the community or something else as the first experience mm-hmm. and uh, then of course um there are other indicators that need to be looked at um, that you really are with the right people mm-hmm. and that mm-hmm. you like can openly um kind of communicate what kind of substances you've ingested because mm-hmm. in the case of emergency it's always best when the people mm-hmm. know and of course there are some rules like no mixed use with other mm-hmm. substances and if people are taking prescription mm-hmm. drugs they may want to consult with their doctor first mm-hmm. um, what it means because there can be some medication interaction as well mm-hmm. so that's always why uh, kind of a health screening is also recommended and that's another thing like as long as a lot of the places mm-hmm. are on the ground then there is no health screening happening mm-hmm. but then on the other side other hand like maybe in a traditional context mm-hmm. um in south america also um, shamans will not be in need of a health screening because they mm-hmm. feel exactly already the energy and what's wrong with you mm-hmm. this is hard for us to believe because this is not something we can measure and mm-hmm. in the western world we just love to measure everything mm-hmm. and come up with thousand indicators and mm-hmm. it, <laughs> the same with neuroscience we really want to understand what's happening in the brain with mm. uh, the brain on psychedelics but we don't even know what's happening in the brain without mm. exactly so why do we really want to dive mm-hmm. in deeper there mm-hmm. and know more the studies are extremely expensive and mm-hmm. um that's that's always good to question like what do we get out of it or is it enough if we know that the quality of life for that person has improved after the experience mm-hmm. or the person just feels better right so we mm-hmm. also have to look at the limitations of mm-hmm. science and mm-hmm. also the status of science because right now it has the highest status and everything that comes uh from science uh, is basically what's on the agenda and what is legit uh, legitimate but then there is so many other ways to connect to each other or our own bodies mm-hmm. um, and we do have a bodily autonomy to decide what to do and again the right to consciousness to decide mm-hmm. to um, expand the consciousness under um, especially with um, natural psychedelic substa- substances why not but if everyone has that right everyone also has the right to have mm-hmm. information mm-hmm. on how mm-hmm. to do that and mm-hmm. the more information mm-hmm. we have the safer the use becomes yeah i think uh well there's a, there's a lot to unpack there you you just you know we, we 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 could have started with all that and then we could have unpacked all of that uh, as well so you know what i really hear you saying is that you know we in the west have a a, a tendency to analyze things you know uh we pick them apart and whether or not that's the biopsychosocial model where we're picking that apart we're looking at the you know the neuroscience of it the physiology of it we're seeing what the contraindications are and then measuring you know sort of gaming the system measuring the risk uh 
if you will. But yet, at the same point, when you look at it from an indigenous viewpoint, they're really looking at the energy of the individual and maybe perhaps what their intentions are or what they, you know, the individual wants to get out of the, you know, get out of the experience, you know, which might be a transformation, might be something around change, might be a insight or a perspective that they never had before or a connection that they never had before. So I think what you're saying is, you know, make sure you do your homework, make sure you have a good mindset going into it. Why are you doing it? You know, what's what's that all about? And because a lot of times, as we know, mindset determines the outcome. You know, when you go into it, if you're going to it with an angry, you know, mean, nasty kind of viewpoint, and you're really mean and nasty about it, you know, maybe, that's okay if there's a specific medicine like a heart opener that might be a, a good approach towards something that you need to look at but uh, i think then who are you connecting with what's your community going to be like who are the people that are into this space and can you have an emotional connection or some sort of a you know connection with them in general and then you know really look at what the uh where are you going to go ahead and do it where the setting what's that all about you know and and, and you know it's going to be a different experience if you're in the basement of a building with rats crawling around versus being in a really lovely setting that really is aspirational in context and then you know what's your support group afterwards you know what does that look like and you know who's your community and who's going to help you with that after you have that experience and you know maybe what are you going to do in terms of your life to change the things that might have been different before or the relationships you had or whatever it is is that did I, did I do an okay job of interpreting that yeah i think the most uh important two points that we want to point out is like um first we don't need to rush like no mm -hmm. one needs to rush it's mm -hmm. like um people usually feel Slow when they're down. ready yeah. mm -hmm. and slowing down exactly mm -hmm. most of it can wait and there is also the question whether you ever need psychedelic medicine or any plants right. like because again you said it before we are the medicine mm -hmm. so if we were to do all the yoga meditation mm -hmm. and breath work all the time and mm -hmm. eat healthy and move around exercise mm -hmm. uh, drink enough water sleep enough probably there would not even be a need mm. to open any door with any form of substance intake. Huh? Right. But again, that's not where we are or where most of mm. us are. So that's yeah. why um, this, but also a certain kind of curiosity can of course lead to people wanting mm -hmm. to really experience these things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, when people have a psychedelic experience under supervision or otherwise, the most important thing is really to kind of integrate it in a sense that the experience doesn't just stop after the effects mm -hmm. of the substance have worn off. Mm -hmm. It's really like the messages you got or also a challenging experience that you experienced. How do you make sense of it? Mm -hmm. What does mm -hmm. it mean in particularly mm -hmm. for your life right now? And this is what, um, like again, new groups and also harm reduction services at festivals do really well but not everyone again is accessing these spaces. Mm -hmm. And what we could do better as a society is surely uh, taking into account and destigmatizing vulnerability mm -hmm. and sensitivity as well, because when mm -hmm. we grow up, we don't necessarily learn um, like to express how we feel because oftentimes it's mm -hmm. almost punished mm -hmm. or a kind of um, mm -hmm. leading to 
um, um, like yeah problems um, if you communicate depression about depression yeah exactly yeah mm-hmm. and then at the same time like um, there is on the other side also like a victim personality like mm-hmm. people can find comfort in a diagnosis mm-hmm. or in a particular um, like syndrome description and then right. it's also getting hard to move so the openness to be ready to move mm-hmm. and to feel and to fully feel and mm-hmm. making sure that's okay but also like kind of differentiating between the feelings you feel mm-hmm. and the feelings of other people that you may take as yours but they're mm-hmm. not ever yours to have right projections uh, depression rejection all of these things uh can be, uh, you know, really quite traumatizing. And to your point, I think a lot of people, you know, it's very frightening to take agency and responsibility for your life. It's, uh, it's much easier sort of going into the, you know, going into the matrix and going into the feeding tube of illusion, uh, rather than, you know, do you want the red pill or the blue pill, you know, rather than waking up to the reality that you yourself are the creator of your own experience in a lot of cases. So, you know, uh, yeah, we're well, back at uh, recreation and co-creation. I think that's definitely yeah. the future. Like, yeah. we we don't have to do this on our own. And yeah. again, it's not just about our individual healing. It's about so much more. No. It's about how we show up in the world and how we collaborate, even with people who have different opinions. Mm. And that's why this field is of particular interest mm-hmm. because there are so many different stories and perspectives mm-hmm. that come together. And that mm-hmm. I've also seen at the conference in particular. Mm-hmm because I went to a a community panel with black spiritual leaders Mm -hmm. in psychedelics. And they asked um, who has been mostly doing psychedelics for experiences, Mm -hmm. hands up, and who was doing it to cope with suffering. And Mm -hmm. in that room, the majority of people said suffering. Whereas Mm -hmm. in our global Mm -hmm. drug survey, where Mm -hmm. we reach obviously a different uh, Mm -hmm. population, they said experience, um, Mm well-being, connectedness, whatever, Mm -hmm. like not too much pathological pathological stuff right and it's important to put this in in perspective and to acknowledge that right now in the movement Mm -hmm. the people who are coming in newly they may have entrepreneurship backgrounds or other things Mm -hmm. and they have like they have worked a lot and Mm -hmm. they're leaders in their spaces but they have um, like perceived and experienced healing Mm -hmm. they're coming from a point of healing whereas again like the majority of people are using psychoactive substances for other motives mainly recreation Mm -hmm. and did not not to work on anything and I think Mm -hmm. it's just time to make space for both of these um, perspectives and not limit the approaches we come up with in the space on just one or the other reality. So really seeing uh, where are the people right now, what are the experiences that we share together and um, what are maybe different things people Mm -hmm. want to work on or not want to work on. And Mm -hmm. then again, create a space that is inclusive of all opinions. I love that. I think that's a great note to uh, close our time on. Uh, I I, I would like, uh, Larissa, I'd like people to be able to get a hold of you if you're open to that and maybe uh, any resources that you might you know want to uh, provide people with that uh, you know just to go ahead and maybe do some homework or some research or whatever what 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 would you like to offer up yeah people can definitely reach out to me anytime if they're in need of 
advice or scientific research papers or again um, just want to share um, what their experience with psychedelics was or what they imagine it to be if they're planning for a future experience and I'm happy to link them to the right people or resources to help facilitate or um, kind of prepare for a journey or integrate like we do have a lot of uh, things available especially in the United States that are also in person or with different groups so it's mm -hmm. always nice to have a group around to check in mm -hmm. and people can just text me on instagram at larissa.j.mayer or twitter or linkedin it's the same uh, you find me online and yeah don't hesitate to reach out when you need beautiful 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 well i i want to again thank you so much for uh, being a part of the mindfulness experience and uh, for uh, dropping so much knowledge and experience that you have had through your travels and also uh, in your work and uh, very enriching and very powerful. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Keith. Thank you for listening to the Mindfulness Experience Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe and leave us a review. We have other exciting guests coming up in the next few weeks, so stay tuned. For more mindfulness tips and tricks, visit our website at workmindfulness.com. Thanks again for being a part of the Mindfulness Experience. This is Keith Fiveson.